Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Hawa Hassan, a James Beard Award winner and culinary triple threat, dynamic chef, TV personality, and entrepreneur. She's the founder of Bass Boss Food Sauce, a line of condiments inspired by her home country of Somalia, a fast-growing brand that's been featured in Forbes, The New York Times, Eater, and more. Her first cookbook meets travelogue in Bibi's Kitchen, shares recipes and stories from grandmothers or Bibi's in eight African countries bordering the Indian Ocean. In this episode, we talk all about her journey growing up in Somalia, immigrating into the United States, and ultimately creating the career of her dreams in the culinary world. Hawa shares so many inspirational messages and tips from her early days starting out to how she lives her best life today, juggling so many entrepreneurial hats. It was an absolute joy to connect with Hawa. Keep listening to learn more. If you haven't had the chance to try our grain-free granolas yet, head on over to Walmart to now find them in the gluten-free, healthy living aisle in select Walmart locations. Our grain-free granolas have crunchy clusters of nuts, superfood seeds, and creamy nut butters, all baked with organic coconut oil and sweetened with coconut sugar. They are gluten-free, paleo, and keto certified. Use the link in the notes section to find Purely Elizabeth products at a Walmart store near you. Hala, welcome to the podcast. So excited for our conversation today. So I'd love to start with your story. And, you know, it's funny, as I was thinking, usually I'd say, like, what's inspired you to start your business? But there's so many facets of your business and who you are. So we'll we'll start with really your background and what inspired you to your mission and entering into the culinary world. Well, it, it's a all over the world story, but I think it's one that, you know, the global majority has. And so I feel special, but I'm really not that special. <laughs> I was born in Somalia in the late 80s. And shortly after my birth, there was civil unrest. So my family and I relocated to Kenya, where we went to a refugee camp for a year. And then three years into living in Nairobi, there was a position for a little girl to be moved to Seattle, Washington. And so my mother, who is my hero and is a rock star, thought that it would be a good opportunity for her eldest daughter to go. And so that I started the journey that many displaced people know all too well. Uh, I journeyed to Seattle with nine people I didn't really know well. How old were you at that point? I was seven. Wow. Yeah. And that was 1993. And so from 1993 to 2008, my family and I were disconnected. My mother in two, in 1999 or early 2000 moved to Norway. And so I found out uh, shortly after graduating high school that they were based in Oslo. And then in 2005, I moved to New York to model after I finished high school and some of college. And I Googled one day where Oslo was. I was six hours away. I fixed my documents. At the time, I was still traveling on what's called an I-131, which acts as a passport for displaced people. 
And I made my way to Norway, reconnected with my family. And in doing so, I just found my position back in the kitchen. You know, the the boss, the baby boss of the family, you know, trying to be my mom's everything. And the more and more I visited them and the more I came back to New York, the more I understood how disconnected I had been from my own identity growing up in, in Seattle. And when I started to think of what that looked like for me, a girl who in so many ways was so well taken care of and... I used to pride myself on being the girl next door and the best basketball player and everyone's best friend. I started to think about what about all the people like me who don't feel like they belong anywhere? And then I started to think about how do I tell those stories and what is the best vehicle to use and what do I like to do? So for me, it was about figuring out how to tell big stories through food. And it just so happened to be consumer packaged goods was my, you know, the vehicle I wanted to use and I wanted to inch my way onto people's tables. And I did that through my condiments. And then shortly after the condiments launched, I wrote a cookbook called In Baby's Kitchen, which came out in 2020. It won a James Beard. It had, Nothing like it had ever been written or, you know, again, big, bold global stories. And then that book turned into three TV shows on the Food Network. And so, you know, I like to tell people I make food, but the main thing I really do is I tell stories through food. Wow. Sorry, that was a lot. No, I, I want to like go go back and not skip over so many pieces of it because it's such an incredible story and all the pieces of it, how, how it's come together is amazing. So thinking back to when you first came here, you were seven. Do you remember much of about that? Oh, I remember everything. I mean, so do you remember I remember when your mom first said to you, hey, you're going to go to the United States. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in Somalia, so I was born in Mogadishu, which was the capital. But my parents were, they were young, especially my mom. My mom was so young and they traveled a ton. And so... My my older brother and I were always left with my grandparents. And so I'd grown up very free, but I also grew up with like, I grew up feeling very powerful. I was like, exactly who I am today is who my mother sent to America. <laughs> and so I grew up like being very sure and like, I'd always had like a sense of right and wrong. And so when we were, when this opportunity came about, I actually wasn't supposed to be coming. There was another girl that was supposed to come. And a few months before they were all set to leave for Seattle, her mother decided against parting ways with her daughter. That's where my mother said, oh, she'll go. And, you know, we had to remember so much. You had to remember where you were living before. You had to remember who was in your family. There, there were so many documentations we had to remember. And there's a story in my family of how, like, I was, like, quizzing everybody on what we were going to do and you know, do you know the city we're going to? And so I very much remember everything. I I, I recently did a, a freedom act of information, you know, to see the journey. Yeah. To see that if the pieces in my head made sense on paper and I was like, oh my God, I, this is too much. And so, yeah, all that to say, I remember everything. And what, do you remember what those emotions were? Was it nervous, excitement? Yeah, everything I, in between. We had just gone through this. We've gone, what my brother and I now talk about often is like, we felt like we were on this 
an adventure of a lifetime. You know, we grew up in a beautiful home in the capital. We grew up going to the beach on Sundays. We grew up going to the countryside on the weekends, you know? And so having grown up in that and coming to Kenya, we were like, oh, this is, this is a pit stop. You know, we don't know where the journey's taken us, but while we're here, we have to be the best kids for, our, you know, our mother. We have to be helpful. And so when it was time for me to go, I was like, oh, another leg on the journey. And so my biggest thing I wanted to be was to make my mother proud. I was like, I'm going to get to America and I'm going to be helpful. You know, I'm going to uh, pull my own weight. I'm going to wash my clothes. I, you know, the, the, the thing that when your mom is like, you're going to someone's house, behave well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my goal. I was like, you know, I'm on this adventure, but while I'm there until my mother comes, I need to do everything in my power to be a good representative of my family. That's amazing. So when you eventually go to Oslo to meet for the first time, at this point, where were you in the career progression? And I'm sure she was so incredibly proud. I think at this point, I was about 10 years into my modeling career. It started in Seattle. I left school so I can pursue modeling full time. I'd been living in New York for three years. I traveled all over the world. And so I, you know, I was, I was Miss Independent. I was like, I... I'd had this big life. I had, you know, a best friend who I'd known since I was nine years old. I, you know, I was still with my high school boyfriend. And so (laughs) for me, I was like, I already have like a set life. And my poor mother, she's Muslim. And so modeling wasn't anything she'd ever heard of. And so she just kept saying, um, but what were you in school for? And I, I was like, oh, political science. And so she started telling her friends, she, she's going to be a lawyer. <laughs> so I went there like, okay, I'm going to see these people. I'm going to see where I come from. Hopefully there will be, you know, a place for me in their lives. And if nothing else, I was hoping to at least undo some of the things that I thought of myself, you know? Yeah. So you go and you spend time with your family in Oslo and have this reconnection to your culinary traditions and past. And and so what happens when you come back? And, you know, there's a lot of people who might have that inspiration by spending time with their family or remembering, but you took it to a whole other level. So what, what did that really look like for you? Oh, it was confusing at first because modeling was such a big part of my identity. And so when I came home, I was like, oh, I think I need to go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) But I I was so young. And so I didn't know what that looked like. I think being there, I realized outside of the nostalgic part, the food part, the the laughter, the, you know, my family, there's 10 of us, there's 10 children. And everyone is equally as loud as the person before them. <laughs> and so, and I had kind of grown up alone. I I really grown up as like a, I grew up at other people's tables. I grew up with my basketball coach. I grew up with the people who were the, you know, the day camp counselors at my community center. And so 
I'd always been a part of people's lives, but at the very core of me, I still am. I'm very much a loner, but I'm a lot of people feel like I'm theirs, right? And so I remember leaving and feeling like, oh, I need quiet. Like I, I just like I need like a week of not seeing another person. And then I was like, I gotta go to therapy because there's some unanswered questions. The food bit didn't really come until I kept going. And then until I kept peeling away the layers of myself because I needed to understand what I had missed in order to recreate what was lost. Mm. You know, the food part didn't come until 2014. And when you finally decided, hey, I want to do something with this, did you have a vision? Was it first, hey, I want to create sauces and create a CPG brand or and or where did the cookbook fall in that and and creating kind of your own personal brand. Was it all one master plan? Yes, it, I, I still have that original business plan. Really? Sure Amazing. You know, you know a thing or two about. I didn't have a business plan, so kudos to you for having it all planned out. <laughs> for, for some reason in New York, when I moved here, I got moved into a group of lawyers. My ex-neighbor was living in New York and it was all her friends and I got, that became my circle. And so I was asking everybody, what do I need to do first? What do I need to do first? And they're like, you need to write how to get from A to B. And so that's where the business plan came from. But in the business plan, there was create, start with Somalia, start at the farmer's market, get into Whole Foods, year three, pitch a cookbook about grandmothers via eight African countries. This will then make you an authority on foods from this part of the world make that book a TV show. It was like, wow, how many touch points can I have in order to influence the American eater? That was like the gist of my business plan. Yes. And, and I, you know, I glance at it now at least four or five times a year um, because some of the things I wrote were so ridiculous, but they've come to pass. That's incredible. I feel like Half the people write a business plan, half them don't. And I feel like for most people who write the business plan, it never really turns out. So you're such a great example of so many facets of it that have really come to life. Let's first talk about your cookbook and give us a little bit more information on MBB's kitchen, inspiration, maybe some of your favorite stories from it and what the whole process was like writing it. So MBB's kitchen... When people ask me about the influences of my life, I think about the touch points that really created the fabric of me. And for me, that's Kenya. You know, it's the first place I went to school. It's the first place I learned the second language. And so Bibi is the word for grandmother in Swahili. So in Bibi's kitchen is in grandmother's kitchen. Uh, the inspiration for in Bibi's kitchen came from when I was starting the condiment company and I was writing my business plan. I started to think about all the people that were left out of big global food stories. And, you know, if I were going to tell stories of displacement and civil unrest and all those things, I really wanted to be inclusive of who was not being talked about. And I would always hear these chefs talk about their grandmothers and how the grandmother taught them a recipe, but you never saw the woman. Yeah. And so I wanted to talk to grandmothers. I wanted to preserve those stories. I wanted to learn recipes from them and their families. And so the book is based on the eight African countries that touched the Indian Ocean. And the reason why I selected the Indian Ocean is I wanted the American eater to understand that 
Africa is much closer than you think. And so in order to do that, I wanted to talk about the spice trade in India and how even, you know, in places like Somalia, you know, the colonization of the Italians and the pasta sauce. And so when people read this book, I think folks are very often confused about the familiarity that they feel when reading the recipes. And then they stay for the grandmother's stories because they see themselves in the stories. Um, I'd say, you know, one of my favorite, every, every grandmother was my favorite. How did you pick the, the grandmothers that you interviewed? Oh, my community. I have such a robust global community. I reached out to girlfriends in South Africa who set me up with their aunties who were grandmothers. I reached out to friends who live in Berlin who were a part of the chief dome in Tanzania. Um, just, just, you know, my people. I reached out to a friend, a friend of mine named Michael from Seattle. And he was like, I know somebody who's in Eritrea. So it was just step by step. Um, but one of my favorite stories is the story of Mabiki, who is a Tanzanian princess. And she, like so many people, had come to the U.S. She lives in Yonkers. She had come to the U.S. looking for a better life after the chief, chief dome had, um, after they had done away with it in the 60s. She came in the late 80s, brought her kids here, went to school here, became a nurse. And I just kept thinking about, like, how does a princess start over in a new society, you know? Yeah. But she's someone I had visited with a bunch of times and someone who I'm still very close to now. Um, so she she became a big part of my life because we were talking about food and her story. And she became a big part of Mbibi's Kitchen. Wow, that's amazing. Since the beginning, Purely Elizabeth has been committed to the healing power of food. We believe there's a direct connection between the health of our farms and soil and the health of our food. That is why I'm so excited to announce our newest product launching. Our number one selling original ancient grain granola is now available in an 18 ounce value size made with regenerative organic certified coconut oil and coconut sugar. For those who are not familiar with regenerative agriculture, it focuses on improving soil health, which is known to help improve crop yields, biodiversity, carbon emissions, and water conservation. You can find our value size at your local Whole Foods market or on our website at purelyelizabeth.com. If you're interested in learning more about our sustainability journey and how it impacts the delicious food you enjoy, please visit purelyelizabeth.com slash journey. Enjoy. I love how you said that the book that you really wanted to bring like community and people across the world closer and certainly food has the power to do that. You know, we can all connect on that. We can all connect on the stories and being together with family at a table. What are some of the kind of biggest lessons that you took away after hearing all the stories that really has stuck with you? You know, the thing that kept coming up over and over from each of the women was time. Everyone kept saying, uh, all the grandmothers kept saying, now looking back, they realize how scarce it is. And uh, for me to use mine wisely. That's a great one. I, I mean, it's so sobering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like that? Have you shifted things in your life 
in that way coming from a, that? A hundred and ten percent. I mean, you know, I've always been a loner, but like even more so now I'm very, very, uh, I'm very aware of how I spend my days and um, more often there, than not, I'm spending them, you know, working on myself. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what, A, what does that look like for you? And B, any tips for people around being more mindful of, of time? I walk a ton. So I walk about an hour and a half every single morning. Um, I'd always loved boxing. So I've gone back to boxing. I enjoy boxing. And it's, you know, the other thing I realized is, especially during the pandemic, especially in the making of this cookbook, I really got away from things that I'm very good at. And so taking care of myself these days looks like doing things that come natural to me. I'm a fantastic boxer. So I'm, I'm hitting things again. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. And I think another thing that I realized I was doing just because of my childhood and how I came up, I've always believed in looking for the helper. That's just a mechanism that I've developed, right? I always look for the helpers. I was like, who's going to help me? Who's going to, you know, whose house is safe? So as I got older, I became the helper, but a little too much. So now boundaries <laughs> is the way that I take care of myself. I say no often uh, and with ease. Yeah, those are some of the things. I love that. I think having boundaries is something that's often so hard for us to have. But once you can get really good, especially at saying no, it's a very powerful feeling. And not feeling bad about it after. Yeah. And I think particularly, I mean, for everybody, but particularly someone like yourself in your role, there are only so many hours of the day. And it's really how you balance taking care of the things that you need to take care of, taking care of yourself, which, you know, I, I'm in agreement. That's like the number one thing. If, if you can't take care of yourself and fill your own cup, how do you show up in the world and be the best version for yourself or everyone else in your life? Yeah, that took me a long time to understand. Do you have any tips on, on getting there or, or helping people feel that uh, sense of their ability to to have those boundaries? I think number one, realizing that it's a process and like everything else, it takes practice. You know, it's a muscle that you need to develop. And I know that sounds like an easy answer, but it really is something that you have to practice every day, you know? And I, I realized one of the easiest ways for me to get, one of the easier ways for me to get to where I am now in regards to boundaries was I started to have healthy boundaries with myself, you know? If I promised myself that I was going to wake up at five because I only had an hour of bike riding to do, or that was the only hour I could use, I couldn't let myself down. Where before I would say, I'll just do it tonight when I get home, which means it's not happening, right? Yeah. And so as soon as I started to have healthy boundaries with my own self, it was easier to do it with other people. The pandemic has taught me so much. I mean, even with therapy, I didn't understand it. You know, the capacity to give so much love, but then to feel so empty afterwards. I, I was like, no, we have to stop this. You can't, you can't continue to pour into others. Yeah. You have to take a take a beat for a little, you know, what you have, you can give, but you can't give everything. It all started with me. Once I could figure out what, how I wanted, what, how I needed to feel healthy and good and 
be a good partner and a good teammate and a good coworker, it was easier. It, it's, I tell people no now. I'm like, no, I can't have lunch with you. Love it. <laughs> anything else that you do in your day, you walk, you box, anything else you do in your day to feel your best? These days I eat a lot of protein. <laughs> I'm on a protein kick too. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized, again, going back to like, what do I need? For many years, I was doing what works for everyone. And once I really started to focus on what I needed, I realized, okay, I need to walk. I don't need to run every day. I need to eat protein. I need an hour of alone time in the morning before I get started at work. I need, you know, so these things have all just kind of holistically come together, which has been so nice. That's great. I'm curious to hear for you because we haven't even gone into yet the food, the condiments or the shows, but you've got a lot of different factors that you're juggling in in your business. I'm curious to hear what kind of productivity tools you might have or like how you schedule things, how you do you have certain days that are culinary and certain days that are something else. What is what does that look like for you? Well, Elizabeth, you could probably help me in this because uh, you know, with all of your success, I'm sure you have figured out formulas that work in this uh in this question, but the only thing I really do now is on Mondays, I, I'm all on email all day long. I'm always on email at the beginning of the day and the end of my day. But on Thursdays, I write. So Thursdays, I write. And then if I have to shoot anything, we always try to make it happen on a Monday. So I have the rest of the week. Monday or a Friday, we try to shoot any content that I have to do. But I, if I have to edit, I edit on Thursdays. If I have to write a recipe, I write it on Thursdays. If I have to test the recipe, I do it on Sundays for dinner. So it's just a little, it's a mismatch. It's, you know, some weeks don't go accordingly. Sometimes it's a Tuesday and I'm like, I'm, today's not my day. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to journal and read a book. <laughs> um, so I just try to list, I try to listen to myself and then I try to honor what I said I would do. So let's get into condiments. All right. So tell us your, what the inspiration for your particular ones that you have, why these and where can everybody find them? So our two hero products are our tamarind and date sauce and our coconut cilantro sauce. Both are Somali. I started with Somalia because that's where I'm from and what I'm most familiar with. I started with those two because I felt that they represented the flavors of Somalia. So in our tamarind and date, there's a spice called hawaj, which is, you know, all of the spices of the Indian trade. So when you taste it, it tastes, it, there's, there's something nostalgic about it. And then similar to our coconut and cilantro, it's shredded cilantro with coconut and jalapeno. So a lot yeah. of people feel like they're like, oh my God, I, kn I know these flavors. Again, very reflective of the Indian Ocean. Um, and then the products that we are rolling out now are condiments that are reflected of the continent. So we have a peri peri sauce, which is from Southern Africa, more on, um, you know, smoky sriracha-like and, and, and a lot more bolder in heat. Uh, then we have our awaze, which is from Ethiopia and Eritrea. But again, how do you get a flavor how do you capture flavor of a place in a jar has been our like 
you know, our mission. And so that's that, that sauce is full of barbare, which is a spice of that part of the world. These products can be found online on our website at bestbestfoods.com. And then we can be found in, you know, in, in states like Texas, at some Whole Foods in the North, all of Whole Foods in the Northeast, and in Ziggerman in the Midwest. So cool. So what's next with the sauces? Obviously, you said these new flavors, but what's your vision for where the CPG space goes? So our intention is to really build a healthy portfolio of foods from the continent of Africa. After these condiment rollouts, we're getting into the snack. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we're going to be rolling out chips that are going to be dusted with spices from the continent. And then from there, we're going to grow the company. But our intention really is to help the American eater understand that our foods are not difficult, they're not hard to make, and they're not far away. And then shortly after, well, Q1 of next year, my next cookbook comes out. And so hopefully we'll be able to do things that align with the book that are reflected of the consumer packaged goods business. That's amazing. Can you give us a little preview of what cookbook number two is? Yeah. So this book is about what happens to a people when civil unrest takes place. So it's an examination of food stories from the perspective of historical conflict zones like Lebanon, Afghanistan, Egypt, Congo, Liberia. Wow. So have you traveled around to all of those places in writing this? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I didn't go to Iraq or Afghanistan. Someone is actually in Iraq now taking pictures. Okay. Well, stay tuned for more details when that comes out. Okay, so let's jump into a little bit about now your shows, because it all wraps together of your love of bringing the taste to more people and and getting that understanding of cooking. Yeah. So the TV show was born because of the cookbook was born and the cookbook was born because the condiments were born. Um, All it's an ecosystem. You know, before the book even came out, I wrote (laughs) this might be funny to you if you know who he is, but I wrote Adam Rappaport, who was the editor in chief at BA on Instagram. I met him at a Christmas party, I think in 2017, and he followed me on Instagram. And so I think at the end of 2017, I wrote him and I was like, um, he was at a Knicks game and I saw a high school friend in in the video he posted. And I said, oh, I I grew up with Nate and started talking to him. What are you working on? I said, well, I'm trying to figure out how I could be how I could be on the BA's test kitchen YouTube channel because I, I have a perspective that you all don't cover. And Adam said, Oh, we'd love to have you. Why don't you send me something? So I spent my Christmas that year putting together a deck for him of a show that I was calling at the time How at Large. And I was like, I, I'm gonna come into your kitchen and I'm gonna like I'm gonna talk about bold flavors with people that folks know. Anyway, I ended up being in the test kitchen wow. and cooking these, <laughs> these, you know, flavors. Um, and so once I was able to do that, I was like, oh, when the book comes out, this could be on national TV. Um, and the opportunity really came to me because, again, I, I think there's, you know, nothing beats relationships and nothing beats being kind to people just naturally. In 2016, I was at a child's birthday who I didn't know. I went with a friend because I said I'd go. 
And I met a producer there, a TV producer. And she told me casually, she said, oh, I work with Rachel Ray. And that was it. She followed me on Instagram. And then when my book came out, she wrote me and she said, um, we have this thing coming up for Food Network. Do you have anything you want to bring about? And I said, oh. Funny you should ask. <laughs> funny you should ask. And so that's how the TV shows came about. But they were always in the arsenal of this is what's coming next. And I think that goes back to just when you have a roadmap, it's easier to do, you know, even if you don't follow it. Yeah. You know, you can always glance back and say, oh, I remember I wanted to do that. <laughs> well, I think, first of all, that's amazing. Uh, secondly, I think you could have a roadmap, but I think it ta- takes a lot of courage and being fearless to, I mean, you exemplified it in the cookbook, in the shows, in the products. What advice do you have for people really maybe stepping out of their comfort zone or and really having like that fearless approach just to go after it and be successful as you have been? I think trusting yourself is the number one so many people talk so much about especially now Elizabeth you know this too like with all of these social media channels we have available to us there's so many pros you know there's so many people who are pro that things and so like when I was growing up Oprah was like the only pro I followed yeah, you know right. she was the only pro in the world <laughs> I, I was like what would Oprah do you know <laughs> well actually she she had a thing that she she said you should ask yourself what was it? It was something along the lines of, what would I do if I couldn't fail? And growing up, I would always ask myself that, even on the basketball court, you know, I'd be like, what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? But ultimately, I think in stepping out, and so many people talk about fear, being fearless and being courageous. I think I do so much when I'm so afraid. I've been afraid my whole life of so many things. Everything spooks me. I, I'm afraid all the time. But what I am is very sure of myself. I am kind. I am smart. I am loving. I am hardworking. Like these are true no matter what, no matter if I have money or not. These are true if I'm hungry or not. Like these are true if I'm in Brooklyn or in Afghanistan. And so I think once you're really sure of who you are and you trust yourself, even if you don't know all the bits about yourself yet, if you trust yourself, I think the rest figures itself out. I love that. And it's not easy to get probably to the place of trusting yourself, right? That takes the experience. It takes a lot of building your own confidence and like keeping the promises that you've made to yourself to kind of build that confidence to say, yeah, I am this thing. Yeah. Like, oh, this was the thing Oprah used to say. What do you know for sure? Like, what do you know for sure? Actually, let me ask you that. What do you know for sure? About myself or about anything? What do you know for sure? It's a great question. I know for sure that I love what I do. That's huge. Yeah. That's like an unwavering, there's no question, right? I've, I have my passion and my purpose. Like, it's like, I know, like, I know, like, I know, like, I know, right? Yeah. So... You mentioned about relationships and how that's been super important to you in growing yourself and growing your business. I'd love to hear anything more on on how you've seen that come to play or or anything, because I I think that's a really important part that I, I feel very much the same in business. 
how at the end of the day, like it's all about relationships. Um, but we'd love to hear from your perspective what that looks like for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think my whole entire life has been based on relationship building because I didn't have a traditional upbringing. And so like, I needed to be a decent kid at school. So Devin's mom, Beverly, would let me stay on the weekends, you know? But as I've gotten older and in my business, some of the ways it's helped is like, we got into Whole Foods because my friend Harvey used to rent space for Whole Foods. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, things like that. Like, and he knew the buyer at, at the time, the buyer was Ellie Trustell, who I'm sure you oh, know. Oh, I love Ellie. She's amazing. And, see, and like, she's become a dear friend to me, uh, someone who I'm very close to. But he was close to Ellie and, or he knew Ellie and he said, Oh, you should definitely meet this woman. Right. And so that, it took 10 years of being Harvey's friend and working out with him at the gym and, you know, casually eating together or walking to the subway together to finally be at a place in my life. When I told him what I was doing, he had a solution, you know? And so I would say even in the relationship building, like build with people just because they're people, you know, not because you need something. And I, I think that's in all honesty, I think that is an art that people are starting to lose now. Yeah. You know, because we've got all these big buzzwords around it, like community. It's like, what if you just were yourself and loving and kind to people? And then maybe one day when you need water, they have an excess amount of it. That's great advice. What other advice would you say if you could look back and for some, either for yourself being, you know, a young 20-year-old coming into the culinary world or just looking back and thinking of great advice for anyone, a woman wanting to get into this space, what advice would you share? This is technical and this is something I think about all the time, but the devil's in the details. Hire a lawyer. <laughs> That's great advice. You know, I think oftentimes when you're starting something new, you think that a lawyer is like, too far like it, it's expensive it's all these things and it's it's something that's going to save you a lot of money down the road i will add to that that also hiring a a good lawyer and a lawyer in whatever field that you're getting into who's an expert in that because i think i early on did have a lawyer not someone who was in this food space and that really made a difference and would have been worthwhile to, to find the right person and spend a little bit more money on that. See? Yep. Great and I, I, did, I didn't even have one at all. <laughs> all right, so we're going to move into some rapid fire Q&A. The best advice that you've gotten in the past six months. Ooh. Consistency over perfection. Great, mom. Three favorite pantry staples. Ooh, black pepper corn, fresh cilantro, and lime. I love lime. I know I, it's like fresh pantry, but I love lime. <laughs> yeah. Three things that you're currently loving. Oh, I just watched this show on Amazon the other day called uh, Swarm. Love, 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 love. I'm reading this book, uh, Autonomy of Habits. I think it's, it's what it's called. 
only a few pages in and loving it already. I see myself being called out on all the pages I've read so far. And then my couch. I love my couch. <laughs> Currently and always. That's your favorite place to relax. Yeah. <laughs> favorite words to live by. Oh, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. What's one thing you wish more people knew about you? Well, what is one thing I wish people knew about me? I think people know this, but I don't know if enough know. I'm goofy. I'm very goofy. Favorite dish from Baby's Kitchen? Oh, without a doubt, my mom's pasta sauce. Sugo. Sugo salad, it's called. Can you describe what that dish is a little bit? Yeah, so... It's exactly like the pasta sauce that most people probably know, but it's made with warm spices. So it's got cardamom, cumin, turmeric, cinnamon, cloves, um, turmeric. Did I say turmeric already? Black peppercorn. And so it, it has this like sweet and savory taste to it. Yeah. And it's really warm. That topped with cilantro and lime, like anytime I'm missing home, it's it's a fixer. That sounds delicious. What's your favorite dish to make on a kind of regular week? Oh, on a regular week. I bake a lot, like meaning that like I bake a lot of our foods. And so currently, because I'm trying to get a ton of protein into my diet, I've been making a lot of chicken drum in very different, like with different versions of spices. So I'll use a, a braai spice that I've made from South Africa, which is bunch of spices that I put together that reflect barbecue flavors. And then I make a lot of sweet potatoes and squash. Yeah. I'm curious to hear selfishly what other things you're including in your diet from a protein perspective. Like what's a typical day look like for you for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks? <laughs> well, I've, I've been doing a lot of vegan, like vegan protein powders. Do you have a favorite brand? Yeah, Vega. I... I'm having my Vegas smoothie right now. See, Vega, like it's just so simple. I put the, I put a little, you know, a few scoops of the, the like the powder peanut butter. I'll put my flaxseed in there. Another thing that I've been really trying to do is just get a ton of flaxseed in my diet. So I just use my ground flaxseed in there. I've also gone easier on taking vitamins. There were many years of my life where I just believed in a ton of vitamins. And now I'm just trying to get that from my food. And so, yeah, a lot of chicken, a lot of ground turkey, a lot of Vega. And then for years, I shied away from dairy. I'm back eating dairy. My body apparently loves it. <laughs> so are you having yogurt or what are you doing dairy wise? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Greek yogurt sprinkled with ground flaxseed, a little bit of honey, maybe a little bit of peanut butter. I've also been eating a lot of strawberry for fiber. So I'll have in a day, I, I'll have up to four strawberries. I've been doing a lot of, have you tried Good Culture Cottage Cheese? Oh, everyone is loving it. It's I just so saw something good. about it yesterday. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll get some today on the way home. Yeah, it's, it's delicious, grass-fed, like highest quality. Uh, the founder was actually on the podcast uh, a little bit ago as well. So really exciting business that they have and just great products. Oh, I'm going to get some. Yeah, I, I just saw a whole video about it yesterday on TikTok just from a random person. That's so funny. 
Okay, and lastly, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Ooh, non-negotiable, non-negotiable. I mean, I think this is just in life, like integrity. I try to do everything I do with integrity. So even in honoring myself, I try to think about what does that look like every day? I'm like, okay, what does today look like? If you're going to have a glass of wine, what do you need to do later? Which is like accountability and integrity are really the center of my life and that moves into my wellness routine as well. Love it. Well, in closing, what is next for you? What is on the horizon? Other than the cookbook, which we're very excited about. Well, I'm currently trying to raise capital so that I can expand our company, our consumer packaged goods business. Aside from that, I have a TV show coming soon called What We Eat When. And it's about what do you eat when a young person starts their monthly? What do you eat when you're climbing Mount Everest? What do you eat when there's a family reunion? What do you eat when you give birth? Uh, And that'll take me all over the world. And it is about just building better tables. Wow. When, can you tell us when it'll be on? Next year. Okay. How exciting. Well, in closing, is there anything else that you want to share? And then where can everybody find you? You can find me at Hawa Hassan on Instagram. You can find our company at Best Best Foods all over on all our social channels. And then what would I want people to know? Just be good to others and yourself. Perfect. Hawa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was such a pleasure to chat. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate this. This is fun and painless. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.